0: This is the Stages of She podcast, all about women, the lives we lead, the things we care about, the ways we grow, change, relate, and everything in between. All from the perspective of your three hosts, Christina Godfrey, Liz Thomas, and Sarah Strasbaugh. We're each living different lives in three different generations, finding similarities along the way as we connect and support the women we love.
1: We are so excited to introduce you to Nani Jewelry. This is a small business based in Southern California, owned and operated by a stay-at-home mom of two. Every piece is gold-filled, tarnish-resistant, and under $100, so you can add to your collection without overspending. We love their everyday minimalist style pieces because you can layer them together, which makes accessorizing so easy. Pick something out for yourself or a friend, especially for this upcoming holiday season, and use our discount code STAGESOFSHE for 15% off your entire order. And that is code STAGESOFSHE, one word. And you can use this code at nanijewelry.com. That is N-A-N-I Jewelry.com.
0: What are you guys doing tonight before she leaves, before you leave, Reagan?
2: Well, we we have a really
3: exciting day. Uh, Go on. Okay, well, the the really exciting day she's talking about is that I was given a long list by my my American daughters of what I needed to bring back to Australia that they can't get there. Mm -hmm. So I'm dragging Mm -hmm. Christina to Costco to pick up Bisquick and Goldfish and (laughs) Brianna and all of these favourite things from home that they can't get in Australia, so... I'd literally be turned back at the airport, I think, if I turned up without them. <laughs> so I'm dragging Christina to do that. And then um, more champagne tonight at another one of Christina and Todd's friends' place. So we'll be going out. I'll be going out with a bang. Nice. Leave <laughs> from the way I arrived. That's fine. fun. Much fun. Christina
1: gets a, a hot dog or a slice of pizza at Costco. <laughs>
2: I told Reagan, I said, I'll get you a hot dog there. That'll be uh our last lunch here.
0: <laughs> Perfect. <want> to... <laughs> it's always such good ambiance at Costco. So
2: <laughs> Hey, you know what? We don't discriminate. We go to the fanciest of places mm-hmm. and then we eat at Costco. We're we're not picky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a hot dog. You can't get it wrong at Costco. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've had a hot dog in ten years, so yeah. I might be passing on the hot dog. Uh huh. Although, I won't eat a hot dog, but I'll drink two bottles of champagne, so, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, that's why we get along. <laughs> pick, my, pick my poison. Yeah. Um, okay. So, do you well, want to introduce Reagan? Okay. So, today, I have to say this is extremely exciting for me uh, to be interviewing one of my very best friends in the whole world, and she lives clear across the world. So she happens to be visiting me at this time as well. So I am so honored to have you on our podcast. This is Reagan Moya Jones, the co-founder, well, the creator and co-founder of the extremely iconic popular baby brand, Aiden & Anna and the author of the best selling book, What It Takes, How I Built A Hundred Dollar A Hundred Dollar Business. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> how I built a hundred million dollar business against the odds. Yeah. So welcome to our podcast, Reagan I'm excited. We have so many
3: questions. <laughs> you can ask me anything and I will answer honestly, which as my PR agent for over a decade was not always fun for you, because I would get uh, get myself in trouble being too honest. But anyway, here we go. That's we'll true. That.
2: Yes, and I will add that um, a little background. I was lucky enough to work with Reagan when she launched Aiden and A, which was over. I think it was in two thousand seven that we began to work together, and I was her PR up until two thousand and was it eighteen?
3: Yeah, two thousand eighteen. Two thousand
2: eighteen when she um when she left the company, which we'll talk more about. But it was an incredible experience. And along the way, we became very close friends. And so I got the best of both worlds to be able to work with her, you know, on the business side, but also to develop, you know, a lifelong Beautiful, fun friendship. So we want to talk all about, you know, Reagan's journey from her, you know, how she started out, and to keep in the theme of this podcast, you know, we will kind of cover her thirties, her forties, her fifties, and um, her sixties. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh,
0: yeah. Are we revealing
2: uh, age here? <laughs> no. Her fifties, and so. With that said, let's, uh, let's start off with your, you know, how you, how you started off in your 30s with your whole business career and family and kind of give us a little like idea of where you were at that point.
3: Well, I'll definitely try and keep this brief. Uh, so I was living in Australia at the time when I met my then husband, now ex-husband, albeit a very good friend still. And uh, he was, uh, is an electronic engineer, got offered an opportunity to move to New York to set up an office for Telstra, which is the equivalent of Australia's AT&T. We'd been dating for about a year. He said, what do you think about New York? I said, my bags are already packed. I'd been to New York. I was one of those people that the minute I got onto the Triborough Bridge, I knew that it was where I needed to be so jumped at the opportunity to actually move there. We were only supposed to be there for two years. We ended up there 24 years. And when I got to New York, I wasn't able to work because I didn't have a visa. So I was sort of doing odd jobs, eventually got a visa, worked in the conference industry. And then I was pregnant with Anae in 2003 and... I, my sister had her first baby six months before Anae was born and she every picture I saw of Rio, my nephew, he was wrapped in this muslin. I said to my sister, what is that? And she goes, oh, they're muslin blankets. She, like Everyone here has a dozen of them and uses them for everything. And so I went looking for them, couldn't find them anywhere effectively had that aha moment where I went well every Aussie parent can't have this wrong so I'm sure if I introduce the product into the U.S. American parents would respond to it the same way which is basically what I did and that was that was how Aiden and Ana got started with I, I started with four SKUs a girl a boy in a, a gender neutral pack and a towel and washcloth and then over the years expanded to quite frankly too many SKUs. We ended up with something like two thousand products or something. Um, but literally started with three packs of of those blankets and and that was that. And then realized very quickly also that I uh, nobody else was using muslin anywhere else in the world either. So I very quickly expanded to Europe the uk japan canada you know so it became quite global quite quickly um because it was just an essential product and now people who are listening to this who are mums, know that you can get muslin everywhere and it really is just like it was in australia an absolute staple product
2: Mm -hmm. reagan can we can we go back a little bit though like so when you did start this business you, you had a full-time job. So
3: I was let's working talk about them. that,
2: you know, how I, because I think of two little yeah. ones.
3: Yes. So yeah, that, the, the, uh the, the juggle and the struggle was real. Like this uh, notion that, you know, working mums can have it all. Mm, not really, unless you have a whole lot of help as well. Um So it, it was really tough. You know, there were nights where I was, it was very dramatic. And I was in the fetal position on my bathroom floor at three in the morning, having worked my day job, put my then two of my now four daughters to bed, um, and then had to go to work at Aiden and Anae from sort of like eight o'clock at night till three in the morning. And I remember, you know, standing there going, what have I done? This is just ridiculous. But I believed in the business so much and and really believed in the product and genuinely wanted all mums to have access to it. So that kind of kept me going, but it was tough, you know, I've, I've talked about it before, my hair was falling out, I'd mortgaged my house. You know, I was trying to be a mum, trying to like, you know, we weren't in a position financially where I could just quit my job and focus on you know Aiden and A full time. So my job, I had to keep it. So it was a lot, um, but it was the passion for what I was doing and how much I believed in it that just kept me going. So I would have my moments, and I would well, just remember
2: you have that one story about where you had you had sort of everything personally had to be let go, right? So you were you in the hallway saying, "If I could just." If I just was skinny, this would all be easier. <laughs> See,
3: you know where all the skeletons are hidden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this story, both my daughters were screaming from different rooms of the apartment. You know, I had endless work to do. I hadn't lost the baby weight from my second daughter. I felt horrible. I was exhausted. My hair was falling out. And I do remember with complete clarity standing in my hallway just going, if I was like, 25 pounds thinner, I'd be fine. It's just <laughs> so happy. Oh, and
1: I did you done help done with it.
3: your girls or was like you were doing okay? No, I could never have done mm-hmm. it alone. I had my my ex husband was very supportive too of the work that I had to do. So I was married to the right man who was, you know, understood that I needed him to step up as a dad. So he was super helpful. Um, in terms of taking on extra care that he would not necessarily have had to because I was so consumed with building the business. But I also had, you know, a nanny that was like a second mother to the girls, you know, still is all these years later. So I definitely had a lot of help that as I said, Sarah, there's no way you can do this without an incredibly supportive network around you. Whether that's your spouse, you know, the people that work for you in the business, you know, the people that help you run your home. It, um, well, when you have four children, you definitely need the home help. So, yeah,
0: Yeah. it's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, there's so much still. I think I've maybe had children about, you know, a little bit later than you, and your brand was huge when my babies were born. And so everyone gave me blankets as gifts. And I remember I was working full-time too. I got three months off and then had to go back to work and had to hire my first babysitter and had so much guilt around that. And on the weekends, I would actually use one of your blankets as a sling because I hated the slings they made for babies. That's how strong they are. And I would walk around and just kind of like lament to myself that I only had these two days, full days with my daughter. But You know, what would you say to women who feel that kind of guilt around wanting to have a career and wanting to be a mom?
3: Well, I think it's a very personal thing and I felt it too, Liz, like it was very real for me, a story I remember and I I put this in the book because it was literally like someone had reached into my chest and ripped ripped out my heart when I heard it. So Marcos, I was traveling, I was in Europe, I think, and I always, you know, I would never travel for longer than a week, but a week was still a long time to be away from the girls. And Marcos had taken them to soccer or something. And, you know, so my husband with these four little girls following behind him, you know, it was a sight, like having four daughters mm-hmm. thing. And so he walks up to one of those vendor guys, you know, in the trucks to buy the girls an ice cream or something. And the guy leans over apparently and says to Marcos, you know, are that, are they all your daughters? And Marcos says, yeah, they're my daughters. And he goes, do they have a mother? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. And Marcos said, of course they have a mother. She's working, like, you know, that they're with me. And I thought, you know, how ridiculous that is! Because I was often out with my four daughters on my own, and no one ever stopped me and said, "Oh, do they have a father?" You know, it's like double <laughs> standard. So, but it did, oh, yeah. you know, it did make me feel really shitty that you know people would, well, where's the mother? You know, right. You know, do they even have one? So. There was a lot well, they of... they were chick
2: magnets, those girls. They were... Like, they were- oh, oh,
3: yeah. I used to say that and then throw in the Bichon on poodle dogs and Marcos was like on fire. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> you know, and my he husband... a Chilean man, so he... Uh- yeah. The Latina thing going on, Bichon Poodles, and four cute little girls. <laughs> so um, yeah, but you know, it's still and and still, all these years later, I will have moments where I there is regret. You know, I I think back, especially when the girls say to me, "Oh God, Mum, you know, you would just you always just had your head in the computer." My eldest daughter Renee. Gives me complete grief about if I heard the word Ibitda one more time, you know, like these are <laughs> things that they remember that that I was just so consumed and and I point out to them now they have the life they have because of how hard I worked to to give them that life and they are very grateful for that, you know. So and and quite honestly, what I Realize now is that when they're little, as long as their basic needs are being met and they feel the love and they know you're there, which they always did. I was not an absentee mum. I definitely was not. I was a very hardworking, distracted mum, but I was very much there. Mm-hmm. And I realize now with four teenage daughters that they need me much more now than they did then. So, yes. Jumping way forward to the shit show that my life became with being fired from Aiden and A, this all happened in my 50s, you know, getting divorced, moving my entire family from New York back to Australia, you know, I sit there and go, well, what was it all about? And one thing that is very clear to me is that being, you know, fired from my company and Having that time back to spend with my children whilst we were as a family going through their dad and I, you know, divorcing and moving to the other side of the world and them going through that crazy hormonal time. If I was still working, you know, not even as the CEO, if I was still involved in Aiden and A, I was so passionate about it, I wouldn't have been able to give the girls the time and attention that they needed. Desperately needed over the last sort of four to five years. So that's Mm. that's what I hold on to as the silver lining of having been, you know, kicked out of my own company.
2: Well, don't you think things always balance out too? It's like we can't. Even if you were a stay-at-home mom, and it's not, we're never feeling like we're you know present enough or doing a good enough job. And if if we were over-the-top, you know, mothering, helicopter parenting or whatever they call it, that would mess up our kids too. So, you know, we're, well, destined, okay. to, we're destined to mess them up in one
3: way or another. And I, so. again, I think it goes yeah. back to the individual, right? right? I know for a fact I would not have been a good full-time stay-at-home mom. I just know the way I'm wired, who I am as a person, that would not have been good for me, that would not have been good for my children, that would not could have been would not have been good for my then husband you know Mm -hmm. and I remember one time I said to the girls when I was you know overwhelmed with Aiden and Anae and everything I was doing I remember saying to Anae who probably was about eight or nine at the time you know what I'm thinking about like putting somebody in self-fulfilling prophecy here putting somebody in to run Aiden and Anae and you know coming back and being a full-time mum so I can be it more it. and Anae said absolutely not do not do that. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> I was like really she goes no mum we get enough of you so we're all good we're all good with the amount of mum you know sort of. yeah thing. so it's you know it's a very as I said very personal thing and um I think as women, as mothers, we beat ourselves up way more than we ever should for the things that really that we think are big deals like, you know, missing a school play or something like that where Mm -hmm. in the scheme of life, our children's lives, completely irrelevant. As long as you're there for the really important big stuff um, like teenage hormones, then... Mm -hmm. Then you've ticked the box, I think, as a good mom. I well, mean, haven't you found motherhood,
2: all, yeah. all of you, though, that when we feel like it's it's us missing out, it's not them; it's our own thing. We're so feeling different. the the guilt. We're feeling like uh, we're 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 not being the right parent, or we wish that we would have been there. But the kids kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, yeah. they're doing their thing. So it's really self inflicted pain. for sure. I
0: also think that kids are, you know, they're pretty good at letting you know when they really need something from you. And most of the time, it's different than what you might even think they need or want. At the time, I've been surprised many times when my daughter's like, actually, I need this. And sometimes it's not my physical presence. It's like, you know, she's ready to go to bed, and then she wants to talk about her day, and I'm exhausted. But really, that's the time I need to tune in. And I'm not at work. So it's there's no conflict, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, we do beat ourselves up a lot. I told my husband years ago, I'm like, I am a better mom because I work because otherwise I am agitated and annoyed. And when I have that time and then I come home, I feel so much better. So, you totally. know,
3: that's a personality thing. It is. And I know lots of, you know, I know lots of women that are full-time moms who are incredibly fulfilled by it and are extremely good at it
2: mm-hmm. and they're
3: just a different type of person to me you know and I you know I respect them for their choice I think it's not as uh, reciprocated you know I think a lot of the the women that choose to stay home which is very different to the women who don't have a choice right like there's a lot of women that yes. to go to work to make ends meet, to put food on the table, you know. I was yeah. working because I was fulfilled by what I was doing, um, which is very, very different. But I do think there's a fair bit of judgment around the, like women who choose to stay home with their children towards people like me who clearly didn't have to keep working. I mm-hmm. didn't. It. It, you know, it was what I wanted to do. You know,
2: this is this is a good question for Sarah, because
3: mm-hmm.
2: I feel like Reagan and our generation, and probably same for you, Liz, that, I mean, there was even a whole segment on Good Morning America called the Mommy Wars, where there was a lot of judgment between you know working moms and non-working moms. And I'm wondering, Sarah, in your generation, with fr- your friends now that are having kids, do they have that same judgment of each other? I'm sure you have friends who work and who stay at home, and how do they feel about it?
1: Yeah, I think now there's less judgment about it and moms are more deciding what's best for them. Like I have one friend who knows she needs to work and she is lucky enough to be able to work 3 days and then have 4 days with her 2-year-old and that works for her cuz she loves working. I have another friend who left her job so she could be a full-time mom and she knows that that, that that's what her heart wants. And so there's I, I don't see judgment in, from my point of view. I think it's really just a mom sitting with herself and trying to understand what is going to be best for her and her kids. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. That's good to hear because it is a cycle we've needed to break. And in my experience, most of the time I notice judgment from other women on that front I end up finding out later that those women feel really unfulfilled themselves. Like they made a choice they didn't actually really want to make. And this goes on both sides, like women who are working and women who are home. And Mm -hmm. because of their lack of fulfillment, they project that on other women. And Mm -hmm. that's something that should shift because we should feel Mm -hmm. like we get to make the choice we want.
3: Yeah, we should just support each other. Like life is hard Mm -hmm. and you know why would you want to tear down any other woman for anything like you know everybody just does what feels right for them and we should support each other around that i, I feel that very strongly well
2: and yeah. also i i would think sarah maybe and that now it seems like you can't even afford to live if you don't have two working parents i mean it is so expensive
3: mm. to
2: buy a home way more even than when You know, when we were starting out and buying a home, so I think most probably most both parents have to work to to just make ends meet and like have a decent lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think
1: that's the frustrating part is when you don't have a choice. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm speaking of friends who had the choice to choose either or. But I think there are so many women out there where it's hard because you you can't do what you. Want.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So I have a question for you, Reagan. What mm-hmm. are some of the kind of bigger lessons you learned when your business was kind of starting to explode? Like, and you can
3: answer that however you want, but mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs out there, oh, well, there's so many different things I could talk about here. Delegation is definitely one I held on very tightly. You know, not that I've ever done crack cocaine, but I suspect. <laughs> like the- hand over the reins to people that you've worked with and not control everything would be similar to trying to come off crack cocaine Mm -hmm. it was very hard to the point when you know the people the team around me used to say to me you need to just go away like we've got this now you know so delegation was hard but it was you know and in hindsight I should have done more of it earlier um we could go i could talk for hours about how difficult it was to raise capital as a woman and you know how as far as i understand it is still the disparity between a woman trying to raise capital to grow her business and men trying to raise capital so i'm very passionate about sort of talking about that there's a whole there's a whole chapter in the book about that um that was super hard um. Well, then, then when you do get capital, like you know, I had a lot of. I had two private equity firms in my Aiden and A journey. The first one was incredible, mm-hmm. uh, very much a team like mentality of we work together. They made me and my business better. Um, and then the second private equity firm that I you know, when I sold the majority share to them, basically told me everything I wanted to hear until the ink was dry on the contract and then everything sort of changed and it was very much about control. And their vision for the business was very different to mine. So the relationship became very strained quite early on um, and ultimately led to me being pushed out of my own own business. So... You know, they're they're probably the the three biggest things that, you know, jump to mind in terms of what was the hardest in in terms of growing the business. Um so yeah.
1: And I'm like listening to you and I know how successful your business is, and I'm wondering what Personality traits do you think you carried that made it so successful? Like, were you extremely decisive or motivated, or what part of you do you think grew your business to the point it got to? Oh,
3: I love that question, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So, I was told by the people who worked closest with me that one of the things that they liked the most about working with me is how decisive I was. So I would make a decision. I it was never. It was always a democracy. I ran Aiden and A as a democracy, and you know the culture at Aiden and A was one of the key factors to the success of that business, especially early on. You know the person who sat at the front desk had as much say as my CFO and my COO. I really did try and run it as a true democracy and I think you get the best out of everyone and everything when you do that you know and that didn't work for everybody I especially as the business got bigger I started to bring people in that came from you know the Proctors and Gambles and you know Johnson and Johnson and things like that and they they just didn't fit into the culture because they were like well why does the front desk person have a say in what we're doing over here (laughs) you know it just it didn't work for everybody so but they I was told that making the the fact that I was so decisive was really important to people to be clear I didn't always make the right decision I got I got a lot of stuff wrong but I would also own that you know so I just felt it was much more efficient when growing a business to make a decision A well-thought-out decision, like I I consider myself a calculated risk-taker, but I am very much a risk-taker. So the decisions were well-thought-out, but you don't always get them right. But, you know, when I'd get them wrong, I would own them. And I then encouraged the, the key people around me to, you know, I used to say to them, just run it like it's your own business and your own money and make the decision and own it. And if it's, you know... If it's a million-dollar decision, sure, run it by me, but you're in that role because I trust you. So I gave people a lot of autonomy and trust, which I also thought, um, which I also know um, made them all better at, at what they did. But we also had a lot of fun. You know, the the, the characters, I, did, I never looked at what university somebody went to or what college. Um, You know, I didn't care about that. I cared more whether or not they'd ever worked in fast food, fast food and retail when they were at college. They had to have a sense of humour. They had to have humility. You know, they had to be humble. So when I, and they had to be hardworking. That was, you know, they were kind of the qualities, kind, humble, hardworking sense of humour that that was how you got hired at Aiden and A. I didn't even care in the beginning if you'd done the, the role that I needed. obviously as you get bigger and you're a sixty million dollar business, you need someone who's worked in operations before. But whilst in the early stages, and I would say this to any entrepreneur out there listening to this in the early stages, hire people based on their human qualities rather than their business acumen because it's those you know hard-working kind humble qualities that allow a group of people to be in the trenches together and build something meaningful and also have a lot of fun doing it because that was the it's thing not, that- no. <laughs> Sorry. The bar, the bar and the hotel definitely helped because that was the thing. People used to come into Aiden and A N-A and go, "Aren't you a baby product company?" I go, "Absolutely." You know, I go, "But who do you think needs a drink more than anybody else? Mothers." Yeah. Mothers. So, like to me, they're like, "You're not a tech startup." I'm like, "No, we're you know, we're mums." But um, you know, we we would have a lot of fun, and uh, it was it was because I hired on those qualities that it it literally blew my mind how hard these people would work alongside me you know obviously my business my money my vision it was a no brainer how hard i was going to work or had to work to make it successful but it never ceased to amaze me how hard everybody around me worked alongside me for quite honestly in the beginning not a lot of money you know, because Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of money to pay them. So I'll
2: jump in there and tell you why, because I experienced it from, you know, the other side, you know, first of all, Reagan was the easiest and best client that I've ever had. And when we, when she talks about being decisive, you know, we get on our calls and she just, she was so, um, She just would kind of rip through it and she would let us, you know, send samples to everybody because you knew getting this product into the hands of, you know, the most people was going to really generate results down the line. So, you know, we have some clients who, you know, hang on really tight to their product and unless it's, you know, like the the $500 stroller or something where we have to be a little more picky. Um, You know, you told us to send samples to anyone and everyone. Like the more people using the product, the better. And not only that, you were just incredibly fun and fair, and you did not stress or um, fuss over little details, which frankly, can hold a lot of things up on our end. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you'd make decisions like like that and we were able to, I think that's what was half of how successful we were in getting the product covered
3: because of because of you. And, well, well, and also like- I trusted you. Like this goes back to what I was saying early, earlier. You know, I hired you as a PR. Well, actually my ex-partner hired you and then... Mm-hmm we kept working together but the fact that I was so loyal to you was because I knew how good you were at what you did so then I you know you were you were you know my PR agent because I knew the job that you were able to do so why would I micromanage that you know like if if I was going to micromanage it, then I shouldn't have hired you at all, and I should have just done the PR myself. Like this, this is where I don't understand. I think people try and control things too much, and it hinders hinders the success um, of a business sort of out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And the other mm-hmm. thing with PR too is, you know, because we used to get a lot of we used to get a lot of once the brand became the brand. A lot of agencies reaching out to us, you know, big, well-known agencies. And I was, you know, another thing I've always been is fiercely loyal, especially to the people who were in the trenches with me, you know, helping me build it from the beginning. And I understood that PR was like a. the first thing I did with the very little money I had was hired PR at like a PR agent who was actually one before Christina um, when, you know, I had literally no money and she agreed to do it for for a very small amount um, and did a great job but then Christina sort of came in and took it to the next level. And people, I think, hire PR agencies and go, well, I've been working with you for three months and I'm just not seeing the return on the investment. Well, that's not how it works. You know, Christina was chipping away at Aiden and A, just getting it out to everybody. You know, putting it in front of everybody for years before I looked up one day and went, "Oh my gosh, this brand is everywhere." And that was, you know, that was Christina, and it was my, you know, understanding that PR doesn't happen in three months. It's, you know, it's the the long game that gets you the brand that Aiden and A now is to the point where last year someone sent me a screenshot and you know Aiden and A was used as a crossword the New York Times crossword clue
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know so that's that's how you know you've built a brand when the New York Times mm-hmm. that's dead. for sure <laughs> so yeah but um but yeah, it was it's I think it's a lot to do with just trusting the people you surround yourself by and I know that you know you hear this from a lot of people and trusting when you make a mistake and that person isn't right and then acting quickly on that mm-hmm. and not not letting that linger which you know I did I made that mistake and it cost me dearly when I did. Yep. Yeah, your team is you know have I've
0: founded and dispersed two businesses before the one that I have now and I think the biggest mistakes I made were keeping someone who was not a good fit for too long particularly yes. when you're young and scrappy as a company and you really need those people to be part of the culture and so what you know what would you say about that now that you've been through this whole process and maybe are going on to something new
3: oh you don't do it that's what yeah. i said you know <laughs> When you, when you see the devastation of leaving somebody in a chair, because look, at the end of the day also, I believe the success and failure of a business is 99% due to the people that are in it. You can have the best processes, the best product, the best strategy. If you don't have the right people to execute on all of that, you are done. So it's all about the people. So I've seen the carnage when I've left the people in that I knew in my gut were not right, you know, and then I've seen the extraordinary success and growth when I've put the right person in the chair. So when you see it firsthand, you kind of go, well, I'm not doing that again, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it's, it's not easy, you know. When I used to have to let people go because, again, we had a culture, a very friendly, like friend sort of culture, um, you know, I wouldn't sleep for two days when I knew I had to let somebody go. It was horrible. But I remember, I cannot remember who said this to me when I was lamenting about having to let someone I cared a lot about go. Um, That by then, I think we had about 80 employees or something at that point. And I remember saying, oh my gosh, I'm just sick about this. I so don't want to do it. And they said to me, but you are responsible for the livelihoods of 80 people. If you if you can't do the right thing by those 80 people, by knowing that this person is not good for the business and therefore could directly impact their livelihood, you've got to look at the bigger picture. It's not about one individual, no matter how much you care about them sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it it changed my thinking on it. It didn't make it easier. I always lost sleep when I had to let somebody go. Um, But it did, every time I had to do it, I would think about that and go, look, I'm doing this for the other people that are working really hard for this business as well. Yeah.
2: Well, this could be a good segue to talk about too. Like at the beginning, you, you founded this with your like best friend at the time. And that, didn't work out so that must have been you know well i know how excruciating it was but you know you could talk a little bit about that and
3: so again like i could speak forever about that but i you know i strongly advise people to think long and hard before going into an equal partnership with friends or family particularly when you bring the same skill set to the table. I think Mm -hmm. it's very different if you have someone's a financial genius, if your best friend's a finance genius and you're a, you know, a sales and marketing expert, that's a bit different. But, you know, Claudia was marketing, I was sales. We kind of crossed over with what we did Um, and, It just, and she came to the partnership with a lot of money, I didn't, you know, so there was a huge disparity in terms of our wealth and um, yeah, and it just, uh, you know, it cost us our friendship basically. And I think, you know, if I was to, to try and sum it up super quickly, it was really the money that that caused the biggest problem for Claudia and I because I just couldn't keep up with her financially and it was more her husband, I think, than Claudia who was like, well, we're funding this business. Mind you, we were borrowing the money from him and his family at 10% interest. It was not like it was free money. It was expensive money but it still made him very uncomfortable Um, and, in the end, yeah, she just went. I don't want to do this anymore, and it got very ugly, and ultimately cost us our friendship. So you do, you just need to be, and you know, there's, there's a graveyard of friendships out there of people who have started business, businesses together. So just be very careful. As I said, I would, a thousand percent not recommend it if you're bringing the same skills to the table. If you have very different skills, that can work, but regardless, make sure you have everything contractually documented up front.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Thinking about every worst case scenario. Cause when you're best friends, you're not going, Well, what if, you know, you don't want to do this and I don't want to do that and you know, so you've really got to you've got to spend the money up front to have it, you know, really drawn up watertight from a contract perspective to know that if one person wants out how's that going to play out in terms of buying them out or what you know what percentage do they keep it's very very messy but yes it was it was sad but you know ultimately i will say that it i think it benefited me and the business because having two chiefs is also very like there's no way I could have been the decisive leader that I was if I had an equal partner who I had to run everything by you know Mm -hmm. so the fact that you know it just became my business and my vision um I think made it easier in the end
1: you speak about this so like eloquently now and you know can tell the story but in the moment what like how did you handle all of these stressful, like serious issues that you
3: were going through? Oh, I cried I cried a lot. As I said, you know, the fetal position was a you know a thing that I became very kind of familiar with in those stages. You know, I was I was broken hearted. You know, I was losing my friend. My friend was more important to me than the business at that stage. Um, so but it was again Sarah, the the passion. I remember my my husband at the time, Marcos, you know, he said to me when all this was going on with Claudia, he goes, Do you believe in this business? You know, and I said, absolutely and he goes do you believe you can make it successful and I said absolutely and he said to me well then you have to fight for it so because it wasn't a given that it was going to be you know she wanted a lot of money a lot of money back then a lot of money for me to buy her out and then when I came up with that money she wanted more money she made it very tough on me um so it wasn't an easy process, but in the end, it was my passion and my belief in Aiden and A and what I was doing that ultimately, you know, gets you up off the floor and and has you put one foot in front of the other again. And that, you know, that is truly how I built the business. It was a a one foot in front of the other day by day slog, you know, for a good six or seven years before I could really sort of start bringing in true experts to go okay well you've got that now
2: is this a good time maybe for you to talk about what happened in the end and uh this would be more in the 50s segment right Right.
3: the Mm -hmm. sort of so yeah 30s the 30s is when i was having my babies although i did have a couple in my 40s um so I started having my babies in my thirties. I started Aiden and Anae in my thirties. My forties was very much consumed with, you know, running Aiden and Anae, um, and then in my fifties, that's when the private equity firm that uh, that was had control of my business just went, you know, we we don't think you're the right fit anymore. Out you go. So. As you can imagine, having lived and breathed that business for as long as I did, that was devastating. That really shook me to the core. Um, And it was, you know, there was a whole lot of emotion around it in that, um, well, one, I was turning 50, so there's a whole lot of emotion around that anyway. And, you know, who was I if I wasn't the Founder. Well, I'm I'm always going to be the co-founder of Aiden and A, but running the CEO or whatever of of Aiden and A because it had consumed so much of my life for so long. So there was definitely that identity crisis thing going on. I had just never had nothing to do for as long as I could remember. So that wasn't good. I had way too much time on my hands i just finished, we were just about to pu- publish the book and I had to call my agent and publisher and be like, "Oops, sorry, I have to pull that, like I need to rewrite the ending now because I just got fired. So that was stressful. So there was a whole lot of stuff going on emotionally to which I did not deal with very well at all. I effectively just threw myself into a great big vat of wine and swam around in that for a good three years. Um and then my marriage was dissolving um so that was horrible. it was just it was a um, yeah the my early fifties was not fun um my fiftieth birthday party was fun that, well, that was, was great. Like <laughs> yeah, i was I was actually fired three months after that. Four months after that. Thank God they waited until you I had that part. Thank God, right? <laughs> like I wouldn't have put on tables at Nobu had they done it before that. Like no. that would ruined everything. Um so yeah, so my early 50s were were pretty messy. Um so then I rewrote the end of the book and got that published. Um and Yeah, and you know, one knew that I wasn't done, but they'd they'd well, having having now worked with a life coach, Rachel Marsh, who you've had on the podcast, I she saved me by way of Christina because I called her having a nervous breakdown and going, I I need help, and I just don't know where to get it, you know, because I'm not coping here, and you know, I'm I'm going more into myself and my kids are mad at me my marriage is a disaster it's like yeah so um Rachel just she saved me effectively um and so what I was going to say is you know I they broke me the private equity firm they they just ripped all of my confidence out of me you know because for a good year or so before they actually let me go they were constantly telling me i wasn't good enough i didn't know what i was doing i you know we need to hire a superstar ceo to take this company to the next level which they didn't end up doing because the company never really recovered but still a very successful business it still does you know over 100 million dollars in revenue um but, you know, didn't work out from an investment standpoint the way they wanted it to. Uh, so I was broken um, and my confidence was just gone. So it has taken me a long time to recover from that and a lot of work. And this goes back to the those, um, you know, introspective moments that I've since had going, why did this happen? Like I worked so hard. I did... I was a fair person. I treated everyone with kindness and respect. I never did the wrong thing and yet, like, my world just was ripped out from underneath me, you know. Um, And I think that it happened because I was, Rachel reminds me of a story that when she first started working with me, she said to me, so, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressed do you think you are? I go, I'm stressed. And she goes, at that time, you had, your stress was like a 15. She goes, it would have killed a bull, the amount of, you know, but I didn't feel stress because that was the only state I, I'd been in for as long as I could remember. I look back on that now and I'm so different in terms of, you know, I would never be in bed before three in the morning. You know, I go to bed like a normal person now at 11 o'clock, you know, um, Things like that, but I think that it all happened because I did need to sort of—I don't know if I well—I—I I, I think I hit my rock bottom, and that enabled me to focus on getting well and being a better version of me, and understanding that life isn't about being a thousand miles an hour making more money, accumulating more things, you know, that, and, and I'm, I'm not there yet, I'm not enlightened yet, but I'm definitely a much more enlightened person four years down the track than I was, you know, before all that happened to me. So I'm I'm grateful for that, because I've been able to look at life differently, having had all that happened to me Mm -hmm. and differently in a good way, um, having gotten through the worst of it. Yeah.
1: And so you and Christina have now at this point at that time become good friends. And so were you leaning on the friends in your life when you were going through all of this and how did they support you? And like, was Christina the one that was like, you need to talk to Rachel? Like, was that a stepping stone she
3: helped you with? Yes. So no, I don't lean on friends. That's another thing that I'm trying to work on. Christina will tell you this, I retreat and you just don't hear from me. It's like I disappear. So I'm not very good at at leaning on my friends. I don't want to burden my friends with my stuff. And then as Christina always says, no, like that friendships are about the good and the bad. And it is you know i'm I'm being hypocritical around that because I love it when my friends come to me and say, "Hey, I need your help." I, you know that makes me feel good. So but I've never I very much retreat and I just try and work through things myself. So that's why I think too Rachel was such a savior because I felt because you know she was somebody I hired to help me so i didn't it didn't feel like I was burdening her with mm-hmm. my stuff because it was her job to actually help get me out of the the vat of wine, you know so, <laughs> um, But Christina was, and still is you know I still definitely have some I, Christina can get some interesting texts from me every now and then later <laughs> or <laughs> I'm having my own little mini breakdown on the other side of the world and then I'll be like, it's all good, I just had a moment, don't worry about it. So, you know, I'm. but but I really still do prefer to try and work through stuff on my own rather than dump on a friend in no small part because I know that everyone's got their stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. So. I totally
0: understand that too, because I'm that way. And it's a personality thing. Sometimes it comes from your background. I now know because I've paid a number of people to help me work through things that have created the type of person I am. But I think it's so good for women to hear you share this story, because there's this misperception out there that if you have a successful company you can't lose it. Or if you have a successful company and you're a mom, you somehow magically balance it all. So like in that kind of retrospect, is there anything you share, like, because you have kids who are teenagers now, right? Mm -hmm. What would you, or how would you coach like younger friends or your children in balancing their life so that maybe they avoid some of those pitfalls?
3: Well, i I personally don't think when you're starting a business from scratch with no money, no capital like, that there is any other way than just slogging through it you know mm-hmm. like yes you can work smarter and all the rest of it but anybody who thinks that they can start a business and everything just falls in, like, <laughs> it like it's the hardest thing you'll ever do and that is in all honesty, because I've got, you know, I'm, you know, I think I can call myself an entrepreneur now. I do, I do have a little bit of a giggle at all these entrepreneurs out there, like that have an idea. And then all of a sudden, they're an entrepreneur. And I'm uh-huh. like, mm, no, it doesn't really work that way. The idea is the start. Let's see, you know, what you can turn the idea into. Um but I have all these other ideas because I'm, you know, that's just the way I'm wired. And even before I started Aiden and A, I always knew I wanted to do something on my own. I just didn't know what it was. And Aiden and A, quite frankly, and the muslin was the first idea I had where I went, ah, that I could really see turning into something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have these ideas, um, and that, and there is you know, and I talk to Christina about this a lot, there's just this thing that's blocking me from just doing it, you know, and I think back to Aiden and Nay, like I had the idea I was like it was incorporated, I was on it, I was finding manufacturers. It took a long time. Um but I think it's because I know now how much work is going to have to go into any of these ideas I have to make them mm-hmm. successful that I'm like, and also, you know, I'm about to be 56. So I'm just like, damn, like, that's going to be a lot. But I, you know, I'm having been idle for well, I haven't really been idle. I've gone through a divorce, I've moved my family to the other side of the world during a pandemic, you know, I've, there's stuff that's been going on, but not from a business perspective. I'm very ready to, to go back to, to business. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm. I would be lying if I didn't say that now I know, you know, because I went into Aiden and a completely oblivious to how hard it was going to be to make that business successful. Now I know it's a little daunting, and you kind of go, "Am I really ready to do this?" And mm-hmm. my personality, you know, is is very. I don't want to do anything unless it's going to be really successful so you know it's not like I want don't want just a little side hustle I want another Aiden and an A Um, and that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself you know so
2: well and this is something that Reagan and I have been talking about well he's sorry been here for visiting me is how do you now that you've done a lot of healing and work around yourself go back and start something new work as hard but not be up at three in the morning and killing yourself because frankly, when you're in your fifties, you just can't do it anymore. you can't do that to your body and you can't do that to your mind. So I think we all struggle with thinking, well, if we, if we don't have that sort of obsession or the, that addiction to adrenaline, that we're not going to be able to, you know, pull it off. But, you know, with all the work that, you know, Reagan and I have done lots of meditating and, and, and a lot of work in that Why I think that what we realize that if you actually come from a place of being more grounded, that you can be just as successful. Like you do not have to put yourself in harm's way by, you know, working 24 seven and depleting all of your, your energy and, you know, well,
3: and it, it also helps great. right? great that, I don't now have a full-time job and I don't have four children, five and under, that, you know, I could actually put my kids to work in the next business now. Like they they could become, you know, free employees to get it off the ground for me. So, like, my circumstances are definitely different. You know, what I'm saying is to to younger, particularly women, is, you know, it's obviously you know the book the book what it takes you know how I did this against the odds or whatever I said was really you know because it was the the odds were against me but I wrote that book because if I can do it anyone can do it if you're prepared to work I'm never the smartest person in the room didn't have any specific talent you know it was it was sheer determination and drive and passion that built that business into a $100 million global, you know, brand. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. I believe that wholeheartedly, but there is a lot of sacrifice that goes along with that. It is not easy, you know, it's not not easy, but completely um, doable if you're prepared to work hard enough for it.
2: Well, and I think it's interesting because you you've always said that if you could do it, anyone could do it. But I don't think that's the case because you do have to have the passion and the drive and the willingness that you have, and not a lot of people are cut from that same cloth. You know, you might people might have the the idea, and they might think they have that, but but then they're not willing to go those extra, you know, miles and sacrifice like you are. So you have to, you have to be that type of person to.
3: Yeah, you have to be wired a certain way, definitely. But I think what what I'm trying to say is, I, th- you know, like I have I have entrepreneurial friends who went to Harvard who are extremely, you know, they tick a lot of boxes that I don't. What I'm saying is that you know. I dropped out of university. I didn't do, you know, I didn't take school very seriously. I partied a lot in my right. life rather than, you know, worked hard. In, you know, I was always a hard worker. Like I absolutely, whenever I had a job, I, I always worked hard at it, um, whether that was cleaning a toilet or selling shampoo. You know, it didn't You actually
2: clean toilets before? Yeah, I
3: was a cleaner. Mm-hmm. To bring the house to get money. Okay. I've done it all. Kentucky's <laughs> like ten Pizza Hut, like house cleaner, you name it. Because mm-hmm. I, I do anything to earn money. You know, I wanted to earn the money. But um, yeah. It, but you don't need any special skills to be a successful entrepreneur. Like no, I really absolutely. believe that, except for the willingness to work harder than you ever really thought you were able to work Uh that's what I that's what I believe and again remember I still had a full-time job and four small children so not everybody's coming to the table you know I I made it particularly hard for myself you know whereas if you're you know, if you're a single woman, you know, who doesn't have kids and you'd still have your job, but, you know, that that's one factor less than I had to throw into the equation. And then if you happen to be married to a, you know, billionaire banker and you don't have to work, that also helps you, right, because you're not having to go into your day job every day to, you know, pay the mortgage. Right. So there's there's lots of factors. but that life.
2: Well, so do you think because I know this is something we talk about a lot and it's something that I think about quite a bit, you know, we all know we all know very successful people and who've made a lot of money and then we know people who are just getting by and it comes down to, you know, who's really the most fulfilled and happy. And it really doesn't you know, I've I've heard that studies say that uh happiness Like obviously if you are struggling to to pay your basic bills, that's really stressful and that causes a lot of unease and unhappiness. But once somebody reaches a certain level of success, like they can pay their bills, they have a little bit of leftover to go out to dinner, there really isn't a big jump in happiness from the person who has like a lot of wealth and who can, you know, go wherever they want and and live a really luxurious life so thinking about your life because you've you've had money you've had not no money you know do you feel like it's all been worth it like that the like what is the end goal is it the process that brings you the joy or is it the idea that you're going to end up with a lot of money in the bank like what
3: question when i didn't have money definitely Aiden and Anae and making, you know, millions of dollars was not the motivation. I loved getting out of bed every day to go and do what I did at Aiden and Anae. There was always the hope that it would afford financial freedom for my family. Like I would be lying if I said that that wasn't, but it wasn't the motivating factor. So, um, but, you know, having money and not having any money like struggling to pay your bills and your mortgage and everything that's just not fun so you know I'm not going to sit here and say that life isn't better when you've got money because it just absolutely is Um, but you know the level the amount of money I, I think that you know if you've got 10 million in the bank or 25 million in the bank or 50 million in the bank I don't think that there's much difference between you know owning your homes doing being able to do everything you want and then having 10 or 50 million in the bank absolutely at that point I don't think that that has any impact at all on your happiness um so And, you know, and I have money now, and I still struggle with the human stuff that I struggled with before, you know, am I good enough? Am I thin enough? Am I, you know, successful enough? Am I, like, even having accomplished the success that I have, I still sit here feeling the need to prove to myself that, you know, I'm not one and done, that it wasn't a, so, and that was the same motivation that started Aiden and A in the first place. That, you know, I was constantly told at The Economist, which was my day job when I started Aiden and Anna, I'd go for promotions and I was a very successful salesperson. I used to make them a lot of money at The Economist. And I remember going for jobs and they're like, no, look, we just think you're right where you are. You know no one would give me the opportunity to do anything more than what I was doing, which is why I went well f you i 'm going to go make my own opportunity over here, and then i'm going to prove you all wrong, which I did, so there was a lot of that primarily, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it, but again, I would be lying if I said that there wasn't a whole lot of other people that I wanted to prove it to as well who mm-hmm. never really believed in me so but but I still. That's in me. That's the way I'm wired. So even having been successful, um, you know, in I guess in the business sense, um, I'm now sitting here going, well, you know, it ended badly. Yes, I made money, but it ended badly. Now I need to go and do it again to prove that that wasn't a fluke. So I'm still the same person with the same ideals and, you know, thoughts and ambitions and all of those things. So I don't know if that answers your question.
2: Yeah. But so now let's, let's, let's talk about the future now because you, you know, you, you have all this, you know, you ran, you ran a successful business, you've written a book that was a bestseller. Now you're going to go and Do it again. So what would you what are you going to do differently or the same that you did before? And now that we're in a completely different time than when you did launch Aiden and a how how is that going to change how you approach starting, you know, these these new businesses that you. Well,
3: I'll be I'll be. A bit vulnerable here and tell you. So when I go into my meditation, like before I start my meditation, I just sit there and what I say to myself is, um, universe, please allow me to start another incredibly successful job, the business, make more money than, I've, than I ever thought possible and have a whole lot of fun doing it. So the whole lot of fun doing it is new. Like, you know, I, that, was never, that never entered the equation when I used to sort of go, okay, you know, manifest this incredibly successful business and making a lot of money from it. So I definitely think about things differently now. I would not want to do it if the, the toll that it was going to take on me and my family was similar to what it had taken 10 years ago. So I, you know, I would not do it if I didn't think that there was a way to do it where it wasn't going to, you know, take me too much away from my children, not have me present for the girls, not be able to see my friends, not be able to get into bed before three in the morning and, you know, have to get back out of bed at six in the morning. I just, I wouldn't do that again.
2: Well, let me tell you that now that we do everything by Zoom, you're going to have saved a lot of time. Like you used to get on lots of planes (laughs) and have to go a lot of places. I'm here to say that 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 will be a difference when you come back, that you won't have to travel as much. Um, There aren't as many trade shows as there were. I mean, we used to go to those baby trade shows, you know, a few times a year and they were really hard work. And the only fun was, you know, after the fact, when we go out and drink and, uh, socialize, but now people don't really go to those shows. So not that you're going to go back into the baby business, but, um, hopefully there aren't as many shows, but what, so like, what else would you do? Like, is the first thing that you're going to do is, you know, are you going to work? Obviously you have to work on your branding. You have to work on,
3: Yeah, look, I've been been in that hole for five years now. You know, I haven't been on Instagram for five years. I haven't, you know, I haven't been focused on business for a very long time. I still consult with a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people still reach out to me, which is what makes me feel good about having written the book. to say that they were ready to give up, they read my book, and now they're back in the room and you know back on track, building their business and stuff so i'm I'm still do you know I'm on a couple of boards I still do i I've not been completely inactive right um, but you know very focused on business i haven't done that for for a lot of years, but you know i i'm I'm super passionate about getting the word out to entrepreneurs about what happened to me and not in a I hate private equity because, again, I've had extraordinarily good experiences with one private equity firm and really bad experiences with another, so I feel that I can speak to it from both sides of the table. So I really want to find a way, and and there's so many stories like mine out there, but they're scattered, you know. So I know as an entrepreneur if there was one place I could go to hear these very honest, candid stories about what happened to someone and what they could have done differently to avoid it. Well, then, you know, again, then that gives me having been fired from my own company some purpose. So I'm, I'm passionate about that. So I'm thinking about starting a podcast um, where I talk to lots of entrepreneurs like me who have been through it and the ones that have got it right with the right, private equity and everything has gone smoothly sort of thing. So that's one thing that I'm I'm definitely thinking about doing sooner rather than later. And then, um, you know, I'm, I get so much pressure to go back into making muslin because people like the, the muslin blankets that they have are their favourite and everything, which would be very easy for me to do. You know, now that I'm no longer in any way involved with Aiden and An I'm completely removed from it. The business got sold again in June, so I'm now not even a shareholder anymore. Um, so I'm thinking about doing something like that. Something around my teenage daughters, you know, that they're, they're on to me about different things that they'd like to see. So uh, there's there's lots of opportunities out there for me. It's just honestly about getting out of my own way and just putting that one foot in front of the other, just like I did with Aiden and Nay and getting it started. And I'm really focusing on the fact that I want to do it for the, the fun, like enjoying the process. And then whatever happens, happens. You know, it's really just about doing again, because I, I miss doing. I miss creating, you know.
2: Well, you're definitely well, good at it. So we're
3: yeah.
2: very excited to see what comes next. And we'll, you know, we'll
3: obviously need PR and social. So well, yeah. you know, you girls will be very <laughs> much yeah. part of it, part of the process.
0: <laughs> well, we can't but wait. For now, where can people find you? Where would you like to connect with our listeners and
3: uh, what would well, be the best? here I'm gonna to totally out myself here when I say I've been completely off the grid that is no, you know, lie, but um, you know, I think my, I think I have a website, reaganmoyerjones.com, mm-hmm. which is sort of really about the book. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon still, and you know, like I said, I've, I still get a lot of people reaching out thanking me for that book. So I do think that there's, there's definitely content in that book that is helpful for for entrepreneurs. Starting out or sort of in the early stages of their journey. Um, And then Reagan Moyer Jones on Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find.
0: Awesome. Well, we are so thrilled you joined us today. And we like to end with a little, just one final thought. Um, Mm -hmm. We call it Let's Get Personal. So are you up for that? Totally. Okay. So we have a couple questions. Um, The first one is Can you tell, can you tell us what your biggest PR moment was?
3: Oh, oh that's easy. <laughs> the royal baby um came out of the hospital in an Aiden and an A blanket, which wow. uh, for Americans this won't mean much, but for Aussies and English people, that was just unheard of because the royals only ever brought their babies out in a white, you know, wool blanket sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was just so much so that I actually thought my um, creative team had superimposed the blank. on me. Like I really believe that. So I remember Christina was definitely more excited about it than I was. You know, she's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, you know, we're going to send out a press release. And I go, no, we're not. And she goes, What? <laughs> It was my greatest PR moment and you block blocked me. I go, no, no press release. We're just going to let this all happen organically, which it did. And Christina mm-hmm. lived through this in real time with me where every news outlet in the world, it felt like, wanted to talk to me at that time. Um, that was a
2: very fun day. That was probably the high of my whole career.
3: So, yeah. <laughs> so every you know every morning show, every I was I was being interviewed in Korea, in Japan, in Paris, in Australia, in you know it was crazy. So much so that so crazy that I remember on a a morning show in Australia, I was you know doing that via satellite from New York. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing Aussie girl made great and all the rest of it, you know, you must be feeling amazing. And I went, look, before we go on here, I go, you guys do realise I didn't actually give birth to that child, right? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't birth the royal baby. I just made the blanket the kid came out with. (laughs) They
2: acted like you did, though. I know,
3: (laughs) it was insanity. You know, I was just like, why do these people want to talk to me? You know?
1: <laughs> I imagine everyone
3: went out and purchased a They did. It was you know, the, website, the website crashed, you know, like you couldn't the particular pack the with the that design that the Royal Baby came out in, you couldn't like it was out of stock for months after that.
2: Oh, Sarah, you can imagine that print. We got use out of that probably for years. Cause every Every weekly magazine was out whenever, because that was Prince George, the first baby. Every time they had another baby, they would do these whole spreads on, you know, what the new baby was going to wear. And here we were, you know, the a and wrap with the little birdie we'll print. Have to, we'll have to post that on our Instagram, yes. a, little, a little throwback. So that, oh, yeah. that, didn't, that wasn't just like a one and done thing. Like we milked that for... years after
3: well he's george is the future king of england so he's a big deal really yeah he is a big deal maybe we need to send (laughs) a
1: adult size blanket for him now
3: oh (laughs) yeah that's a great idea yeah Yeah. once i I finally get my act together and muslim for adults oh yeah yeah we'll have to
2: find we'll have to use that print we'll find something that's similar
3: (laughs) here's another great story really quickly because the you are not allowed to gift the royals right so they won't accept gifts so she Kate actually bought the product we didn't gift it to her so um but then one of the aides called our UK office and said that the the is she the princess or the duchess or whatever she was at the time um loves the blankets and we're wanting to get some more Aiden and A products and the team's like, Absolutely, you know, whatever you like. And we'll send you whatever you like. You know, and they said, well we can't we can't take product. We can't be gifted. But we're okay with a discount. So they yeah. actually asked for a discount. That's cute. No, and I think
2: I remember we made a special code for them. The Royals. So that they can order. Yeah. And get We're the they're
1: just like us <laughs> yeah <they're
0: perfect. laughs>
2: okay Who's... and
1: i
0: have
2: one more just silly
3: question before we go are you a coffee or tea person oh i'm tea all the way which and how do you take the tea? Like, uh, milk and one sugar very hot that's the yes. thing that america gets so wrong they never make the water hot enough to make a cup of tea so yeah i'm uh, i'm tea mm-hmm. all the way I okay love that. And
1: tonight when you you and christina favorite <laughs>
2: alcohol yeah that's, that's- yeah <laughs> favorite
3: drink oh that- what's your favorite drink? We, christina can I answer this i would have champagne intravenously dripped into me if i could so me I'm too a girl. My, <laughs> my favorite my favorite is runa and billy mm. de runa and you know if I, you know, if I had Elon Musk money, then I'd be drinking vintage Dom Perignon every day, but I don't. Obviously. So it's <laughs> runar and Billy Carr for me.
2: That was oh, the first sorry. thing we did when she showed up at my house is went to Total Wine and, you know, bought out the store. <laughs> How do you avoid a champagne headache? <laughs> do do
3: I don't, food? like I can, I can drink champagne all night and wake up absolutely fine the next day. Yeah. It does not affect me. I feel like it's
0: the quality too of what you buy that makes a huge difference there. So,
3: like I promise you, Sarah, if you drink Runar Blanc de Blanc, you will not have a headache. Right.
2: No,
3: you won't. <laughs> my, my heart's
2: been skipping a beat ever since <laughs> she got here. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I will say also from a nutrition standpoint, my nutritionist said that if you're going to drink bubbles and particularly dry bubbles are the way to go. So,
3: Absolutely. The least amount of sugar,
0: exactly. So you're on on you to have, something there.
3: Champagne had lots of sugar. It has the least no. amount. Dry. Mm-hmm. It has the least yeah. amount. In fact, I think it's time for
2: us to go have some now.
3: So I think I that it is to, yes. um,
2: we should end. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for being on our podcast and for being so open and honest and raw as you always are. And I hope this is the first of many more podcasts that we get you on and, uh, that you start your own so that you can Mm -hmm. share all of your wisdom with all the entrepreneurs out there that are dying to hear from you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And if you you love this
2: episode,
0: please give us five stars on Spotify or Apple podcasts and follow us on Instagram. We also just launched a TikTok and we're just thrilled we that our listenership is growing. We did, Christina. So oh
2: my.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about that more. Okay. Okay.